Amen. Good to see all of you out tonight. John chapter 17. We're going to be in John just for this week and next week. We're finishing up John 17 next week and then we'll dive into our new series. We've been looking at Jesus, sort of the great encourager, that even though he was getting ready to go to the cross and suffer and go through all the agony that he was going through, he was encouraging his followers. And we see that in John 14, 15, and 16. And the teaching now of Jesus has sort of ended. In a sense, his teaching ministry ended last week at the end of John 16. For now, before the disciples and Jesus end up in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, once again in prayer, will pour out his heart to the Father, and then is arrested in the Garden, that he also tonight is praying in the presence of his disciples, and even that is going to be a great encouragement. In fact, as I was studying this tonight, I, I thought of a couple things. First of all, just about prayer in general. There are certainly those prayers that are meant just between us and God. But there are other prayers that I believe are meant to be heard by others. And this is certainly one of those prayers. Where Jesus is praying, obviously, to his Father, but he is meaning for his disciples who are accompanying him to hear every word that he is praying. And certainly we see here that Jesus is obviously the great example, the great model for us. For even in this very trying time in his own life, knowing what's about to take place, what's he do? He goes to prayer and he talks to the Father. He never asked his disciples to do anything that he was not willing to model and show them as well. And so Jesus here again is modeling for them about prayer. And as we get into this prayer tonight, we're only going to look at the first 11 verses of John 17 tonight. Next week we'll finish up the chapter looking at verses 12 through the rest of the chapter. But in looking at these verses tonight too, a couple things that we see. Again, tying into the whole idea of prayer. If you and I are praying for something or praying about something, it's pretty important to us. Usually, we're not going to, because prayer is such a struggle for us anyway, way more than it was for Jesus, that when we finally do get around to praying for something, especially persevering in prayer, it's going to be something that's very important to us. And so what we see here tonight is as Jesus sort of lays out this prayer, we are peering into the very heart of Jesus, to the things that were very important to him, to his desires, if you will. And that's certainly true of us. If you were to go back even this week and start to, in a sense, list all the people and all the things that you prayed for, I'm sure that they were high on your priority list, things that were very much important to you. That's why you pray for them and for these things. And that was exactly true of Jesus. We're going to see the heart of Jesus this week and next week through what he prayed and who he prayed for. And 
really cool. Next week, there's not too many passages of Scripture that today we can say, we're there, that's us, we're in there. But next week, we're going to look at the part where Jesus prays for future believers, which are you and I, which is really cool. But even tonight, I think this is going to be really encouraging for all of you because I don't know about about some of you, but I, I know myself and I know some of you, you're pretty hard on yourself. You just are. And when you hear what Jesus says about his disciples tonight, his generous estimation of these people, I think it's going to be very encouraging to you. So I, I couldn't wait to share. So let's get into it tonight. The Bible says in verse 1 of John 17, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he looked upward to heaven. Now, right here, even in the posture, not that the posture of prayer, because there's all kinds of different postures of prayer. Many times today, we bow our head rather than look up. But it, the posture, in a sense, doesn't matter as much as the heart attitude. But one of the things that Jesus even is modeling in the posture is the fact that to look upward, to elevate, is what the words mean. And, and what he's, I think, trying to say is, disciples, no matter what we go through down here on earth, God wants to raise us above the circumstances and things on earth. And when we pray and we get connected to God in prayer, God can, through our prayer and through being in His presence, give us a heavenly God perspective on things. And that's exactly what Jesus here, I think, was modeling when He lifted up or looked upward to heaven and then said, Father, Father. Jesus, you're going to see throughout this prayer and, and this passage tonight, just once again about the wonderful, powerful, unique, in some ways mysterious, awesome relationship that exists within the Godhead. Between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that Jesus here is reminding you that he's using, obviously, language of, of a family member. Father. And he's using language that is very conversational. Because again, this prayer and this talk that he's having with the Father is all born out of a relationship. That, that's what makes it so powerful. That, that's what we try to get people to see is that Jesus Christ didn't just come to, to save us in order to forgive us of our sins. He came to bring us into close fellowship into a relationship, into intimacy with God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we've seen throughout this study of John that the whole Trinity, the entire Godhead, is always working on our behalf to try to support us and encourage us in any way that they can. And this is true here as well. So when you think about prayer... Because of what Jesus did, the Bible teaches now we, as God's children, can approach the Father, as He encouraged His disciples to do, and said, ask. Don't be afraid to go to the Father and ask. If you have a relationship with Him, then there is a sense in which you know you can come into His presence, and you guys can talk, and you can converse about anything and everything. 
It would be different if we were going up to a stranger not knowing how they were going to respond to us. But that's the whole deal. The thing with prayer is it's built on a relationship. And Jesus, again, was modeling that when he says, Father, the time has come. The word time here in the Greek means as defined or fixed by God. When you study the Gospels, we see throughout the Gospels that many times... The Bible would say things like Jesus' hour had not come yet. In fact, there were several times where the Jews or someone else was trying to actually murder Jesus before his time. And the Bible says he miraculously would disappear out of their grip, out of their presence. Because he came for this hour. And and one of the things that were shown here too is that Jesus again, being the great example and model, was living by the timetable of God, not man's timetable. He was living by God's timing. And keep that in mind, because in a couple weeks when we get into this leadership study on David, that's going to be one of the first things we hit. That's one of the struggles we have as even Christians, is learning to live by God's timing rather than our own. And Jesus now said the time the time that you define, God, the time that you fixed has come. Now notice in these first five verses of this prayer that the primary thrust of Jesus is one thing. And so here again, we're seeing the heart, the desire, the the priority of Jesus. And here it is. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. In fact, he repeats that again in verse 5. Glorify me, Jesus said. But the whole reason that Jesus asked God the Father to glorify him was so that he in turn could glorify the Father. Let's define the word glorify. It means to elevate, to honor, to magnify, to, to put out there in a way to where the person or the thing can, can be renowned. That, that people can begin to understand who or what this it really is and, and can come to a greater appreciation, a higher opinion, if you will. And that's what Jesus is saying. Glorify me. And didn't Jesus even say, if I be lifted up, speaking of the death that he would die on the cross. If I be lifted up, I will draw men and women to myself. And in a sense, Jesus was going to be put on display. But through that display, all the perfections, all the attributes, all the greatness and goodness of God was going to be on display. And in turn then, the Son by being glorified was going to glorify the Father. And in a sense, cause the dignity and worth of God to become manifest and acknowledged. For instance, think about the crucifixion scene when the centurion is sitting there watching how Jesus died. Listening to the words that Jesus said from the cross and at the end said, truly, that man was the son of God. He was put on display and as he went through what he went through, God came through. God was manifest. Notice something here, though. The way Jesus was going to glorify the Father 
was through his suffering and death. And we have to be reminded of that. That's why sometimes God does allow suffering into the life of of a Christian. Why does God allow suffering? Because just like with his son, Sometimes God, in a sense, will put our lives out there on display, especially when we're going through a tough time. His desire is that as we are out there and others know what we're going through, as hard as it is, by living by God's grace and God's strength, they're not going to see us. They're going to be able to look past us and see the God behind us. Because again, it's almost like, how could they be doing what they're doing? Or how could they have the strength to do it? And how could they still have the joy and all of that? And that's why Peter said that when we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and we set God apart as Lord of our life, he says, be always ready to give an answer to every man who asks you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Because there's going to be such evidence in our life that when especially we're going through suffering suffering or trials or hard times, and God is able to shine through at those moments, especially at those moments. Because when things are going all good in our life, well, anybody can be okay then, but when we go through trials and challenges and tribulations, And we're still manifesting, if you will, the character of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then something very distinct happens to where then God is shining through. He's being glorified, if you will. And the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, for the Christian, even if we're eating and drinking, whatever we do, even the mundane things of life, the routine things of life, we should do all to the glory of God. Meaning that we should be putting God on display, if you will, through everything that we do. And that's exactly Jesus' number one desire. I want to glorify you. So you glorify me. Again, in asking that, don't forget, Jesus saying, I I know I need to go to the cross. Because it is in me going to the cross and suffering and dying that people are going to see who God really is. They're going to see, first of all, the holiness of God and the justice of God because sin had to be dealt with. It has to be paid for. And so even in that, there is the glory of God. He's a holy God. He's a just God. But also they see the love of God and the goodness of God that in spite of sin and man being separated from God, God is making a way through Jesus Christ so that man can be redeemed and reconciled again. So again, we see that Jesus' heart is to glorify the Father. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, Just as you have given him authority over all humanity, the power to rule or govern, Jesus, in fact, is going to be the judge. And he's the one that says one day there will be those who come before the judgment and I will have to say to them, me, Jesus, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I never had a personal relationship with you. So God the Father has given all authority to rule, to govern, to judge to the Son. 
so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. Don't miss that. Do you realize if you're here tonight and you are a child of God, you are a love gift from God the Father to God the Son? That's exactly what Jesus is saying there. That I may give eternal life. The word give there means to bestow as a gift. To give eternal life to everyone you have given him. Wow. See, God the Son not only loves you, God the Father loves you, and He thinks so much of you and I that He is giving us as a love gift to Jesus. And then I love this. You want Christ's definition? You want the best, basic, simplest, biblical definition of eternal life? Take people to John 17, verse 3. Where Jesus says, now this is eternal life. And I've said for years, eternal life is not a quantity of life. It is a quality of life. It is the abundant life that Jesus Christ talks about to his followers. And here, notice, he expands on that in a sense and reinforces it when he said, this is eternal life. That human beings may know you. And again, this knowledge here, this word in the Greek language doesn't mean an intellectual knowledge. Because we know there's a lot of people that know about God but don't have a relationship with Him. This word know is a word that means become intimately acquainted through relationship. And Jesus said, that's eternal life. That's what it is. It is an ongoing, growing knowledge of God, becoming more and more thoroughly and intimately acquainted with God. And that's why eternal life is never static. It's very active because God is an infinite being. There is no end to God. And therefore, if eternal life is knowing God and and knowing Him in a relational way where we become more and more thoroughly acquainted with Him, then obviously this is going to happen all through eternity. Because even a billion years from now, we're never going to get to the point where we can say, even in glory, I know everything there is to know about God. Because He's infinite. There is no end to God. But we will spend eternity. One of the things, when people say, what are we going to do up there for all of eternity? Well, one of the things we're going to do out of many is we're going to continue to become more and more acquainted with God. There is no end to that. There's no ceiling to eternal life. It is an ever-growing relationship. But that's why we want to encourage Christians to start growing here. Because I guarantee you, once you get to heaven, you're going to still be growing. We're all going to still be growing. Because we're all still going to become more thoroughly acquainted with God as the billions of years pass by in eternity. God wants us to start growing and become more acquainted with Him now. And then Jesus says, the only true God, the standalone, genuine, and real God. In other words, yes, there are false gods. The Bible talks about false gods. But Jesus says, you are the standalone, distinctive, apart from any other. You're the only genuine God. You're the only real God. They need to know you. And, notice verse 3, Jesus Christ whom you sent. 
Because to know God is to know Jesus. Which again goes back to what we were sharing Sunday out of the book of Colossians. One truly cannot know God until they know Jesus. If they denied the humanity of Jesus, if they denied the deed of Jesus, there's no way they can truly become acquainted with God. Because like Jesus said, if you've known me, you've known the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so Jesus is clearly, again, identifying himself equal with God the Father. And then I love this. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, one of the other things we're going to see here is that because Jesus is God, there's going to be times where he says things as if it's already happened and it hasn't quite happened yet. But in the mind of God, that's the way God's mind always works. Because God knows what's going to happen before it happens, and He's sure about the things that He's going to do. He's so sure about it that sometimes He talks about it as if it's already happened when it hasn't happened yet. Because Jesus technically hasn't completed the work yet until He dies, is resurrected, and ascends back to the Father. But in His mind as God, I've already completed the work. And notice Jesus ties glorifying God with completing the work God gave him to do. The word completing, carrying it through to the end, work, something to be occupied, focused on. Again, Jesus is a great model. What is God giving us right now? He wants you and I to focus on. Are we carrying it through to the end? Even by doing that, Jesus said we can glorify God when he's giving us work And we complete the work that He's given us to do. But I also want you to notice this. This verse, to me, tears down any idea from human beings of how they think that they can somehow work their way to heaven. Jesus said, I completed the work. And it's through the work that I'm going to do that's going to bring man into a right relationship with God. There's nothing man can do. There's no work that man can work in order to gain acceptance to God and have a relationship with God. It's all through the work that Jesus did. And in a sense, not to overstate this at all, when a man or a woman thinks somehow that they can work their way to heaven, in a sense they are spitting and spurning the work of Jesus. In a sense, they're saying, well, Jesus, you know, I don't know why you died on the cross and did all that work, but I'm going to find my own way to heaven. It's only through the work of Christ. And then Jesus says, now, Father, verse 5, glorify me, notice, at your side, with the glory I had with you before the world was created. See, when Jesus came in his humanity, it wasn't that he ceased to be God, but he did for those years he was on earth lay aside the independent use of his attributes and his glory in a sense was veiled. Now there were a couple times like on the Mount of Transfiguration where he sort of gave his disciples a glimpse of that glory that he had before he left heaven. But Jesus desires now that that relationship will once again be continued, even to the point where he says, even with the glory I had with you before we all created the world. Again, Jesus is eternal. He's God. He's always been. In the beginning was the Word, John said, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And so we see here in the first five verses 
again, what the priority of Jesus is. It is to bring glory to God. But notice now, beginning in verse 6, as we finish this up tonight, the next big priority, the next big passion on Jesus' heart is those who follow Him. And when you and I think that somehow God doesn't notice, doesn't pay attention, doesn't care about every detail of our life, go back and read these words in John 17, the prayer of Jesus. When Jesus said, I have revealed your name to the men you gave me out of the world. By the way, the word revealed means to put on display, to make manifest or visible so as to be clearly recognized. And when Jesus said, I've revealed your name, again, in the Bible, the word name embodies everything that God is. His character, His nature, His attributes, His perfections. Everything that God has revealed about Himself, that is what is included in the name of God. And so Jesus is saying, everywhere I walked with these men, I revealed, I put on display, I made manifest who you are. God gives us that great responsibility. When he said, I'm the light of the world, and then later he says, you're the light of the world. Go let your light shine. Put God on display in your life, Christian. Let the light shine so that God can be seen. He says, notice, they belong to you and you gave them to me. And here's that first part where it's like, notice what Jesus said about them. They have obeyed your word. Wow! Can I tell you how encouraging that was when I read that? What a generous estimation by Jesus of His disciples. Really, Jesus? Are these the same guys that we're arguing about with each other all the time who was greatest in the kingdom? And are these the same guys that are going to forsake you in a few hours and Peter's going to deny you? And are these the same guys that you kept telling you of little faith and why don't you believe and all this? And yet at this point, in your characterization of being with them for three years, you're generally saying, they obeyed your word. That gives me hope. <laughs> By the way, the word obey here means to observe and handle with care. Wow, that was encouraging to me. Because when we, when we read about the disciples, you know, honestly, that because remember now, Jesus saying this before the book of Acts, before all the great things that the apostles did, before all the, you know, in a sense, the turnaround. He's saying this about them now. The imperfect disciples. Jesus saying, generally, they obeyed your word. And then notice verse 7. Now they understand. Although in the Greek, it's in the tense of they are beginning to understand. Verse 7. That everything you have given me comes from you. And because I have given them the words you have given me. That's key. Jesus said, look, I gave them the word. And notice, they accepted them. And really understand that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. By the way, I love the word accepted in the Greek language. It means to take a hold of something in order to carry it. To make it your own. A constant companion. When you accept something like that, it's like you seize it and you grab a hold of it and you continue to hold on to it. And Jesus here again is saying they accepted the word. 
And they're beginning to really understand that I came from you. And again, believe that you sent me. Wow. Again, so encouraging because I tend to, when I read the Gospels, look at all the, the things that the disciples did that wouldn't have been categorized like this. And yet, at the end of the day, Jesus says, you know what, generally speaking... That's my estimation. And that's where I'm saying sometimes we're harder on ourselves than God is. And I'm not, obviously, for lowering the standard of Scripture and all of that, but I think sometimes this is clear here. That if you and I would have sort of judged the disciples, we probably wouldn't have had a as generous an estimation of their discipleship as Jesus did. And maybe that's true of you as well. Maybe there's certainly Christians that think too much of themselves. And the Bible says God hates pride and gives grace to the humble. But there's also a lot of Christians that one of the reasons why they never grow into greatness and become who God created them to be is because they always think too little of themselves. And they always beat themselves up too much. And they always expect more of themselves than even God does in certain situations. And at the end of the day, I think one of the things that we see here that's so encouraging is that Jesus doesn't pick out each little individual failure that the disciples did the last three years. He's looking at their life in total and saying, generally, this is what characterized the three years I was with them. Did they fail? Yeah. But so do we. And that's the encouraging thing. Jesus isn't there to pick out and beat us up over every little thing that we do and don't do as much as he looks at the overall characterization of our life and judges us based on that. And that's exactly what he did here with the disciples. Then notice verse 9. I'm praying on behalf of them. Wow. And we're going to get to this even more next week. But one of the things I want you to carry with you this week, because the Bible teaches it in Hebrews and Romans and other places, Jesus Christ himself is praying for you. He's praying for you. Think about that. The the next time, maybe even during the day, whenever you hit a, a rough part of the day or whatever, and things begin to maybe go south a little bit, Remind yourself that Jesus is up there praying for you. That, that's how much nothing that you and I go through in our lives, in our day, whatever, escapes the notice of God. He sees and knows and feels everything we go through. And he ever lives, the writer of Hebrews says, to make intercession for us. Always praying for us. Now, Jesus goes on to say, I'm not praying on behalf of the world. It doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love the world. He does love the world. But the Bible clearly teaches that those who are God's children through faith in Jesus Christ are truly the objects of His care. And He looks out for them. That's, that's part of this relationship here. Just be like your kids. You, as a parent. They're your kids. You're, you're going to love them. You're going to look out for them. We are God's kids. He's going to look out for us in a way that He's not going to look out for Again, don't take that too far because he's God. He looks out over everyone. But it's not in the same way. Those who don't want him in their life, 
Those who don't want the Father in their life. Those who don't want Jesus in their life. Then Jesus is like, okay, do it on your own. Now again, in God's grace, He looks out over everybody. The Bible says He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. So there is that idea that generally speaking, God obviously has to hold, as we said on Sunday, the whole universe together. And He looks out even for people that don't even care about Him or even think He exists. Else their heart would stop beating and they wouldn't even exist anymore. They're being sustained even though they don't believe in Him by the God they don't believe in. But you and I have a special focus, if you will, of God upon us because we are His children. And so He says, I'm praying on behalf of them. I'm not praying on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those you've given me because they belong to you. Everything I have belongs to you and everything you have belongs to me. And again, we're getting a great insight in here into, again, this, this Godhead that, that they are three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet, in unison and unity, they share everything together. One does not do something without the other two being totally unified and in concert and committed to it as well. They all work together towards the same goal, which is the glory of God. See, God understands that He's the answer that man needs. And that's why He wants to be glorified. There is no other answer than God. That's why we need to, and that's why God wants to put Himself out there and reveal Himself and make Himself manifest and put Himself on display. Because God is the only answer. As we've said, everything that man's looking for can be found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he says, I have been glorified by them, verse 10. Wow! Now he's telling the Father, these guys, I've been glorified by them. Again, that's encouraging. By the way, again, the word glorified here means a worth and value that is acknowledged. In other words, Jesus saying they they have begun to see the worth of God, the value of God. Again, not totally there. The, the, work, the work of God is not complete in their life, but it is genuine and real. It's still, in, it's still a work in progress, just like it is in our lives. But it's genuine, it's real, it's there, and it will be completed. Because the Bible promises, he who began a good work in you will finish it. And then we're going to finish, speaking of finish, with verse 11. Jesus again saying, I am no longer in the world. Again, saying something that hasn't actually happened yet, but because he's God, knows it will, and says it as if it's already happened. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them safe. Because we're not taking them out of the world, the world is going to be a hostile place for a follower of Jesus Christ. And the last thing that Jesus here in this passage before we close tonight is asking of the Father who loves them just as much as He does, keep them. The word keep here means to watch over. Very interestingly, 
It's the same Greek word that's used earlier in the passage when Jesus said they obeyed your word. They handled and observed it with care. Same Greek word. In a sense, Jesus is saying, will you observe and watch over and handle these followers of mine with care in your name? In other words, it's like meaning within the fortress of who you are as God. What an encouraging thing. Do you realize that Jesus here is saying basically that we are within the name of God, who God is, and therefore there is nothing that can touch our lives that first doesn't have to come through the name, the nature, the character, the attributes, the greatness, the goodness of God. No wonder the writer of Proverbs says the name of the Lord is like a strong tower, Proverbs 18.10. The righteous run to it and are safe. Why the name of God is like a strong tower? Because again, the name of God embodies all that He is. Anything and everything we need, we can run to God and we are set safely on high, Proverbs 18.10. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Keep them safe in your name that you have given me. And now here, as we close tonight, one of, if not the greatest desire of God for His people, that they may be one, just as we are one. Wow! You think unity of Christians isn't important? (laughs) Jesus says... I, my desire, my will, my wish is that Christians would live in unity in a way that the Godhead lives in unity. That's how unified Jesus wants His followers to be. Like the unity that exists within the Godhead, Jesus says, I want to see that kind of unity with my followers. Jesus is praying. Jesus is sharing through prayer His heart, the most important things to Him, the priorities to Him, the things that are most important. And notice right now, it's the glory of God and the love gifts from the Father that God the Father has given to Him, you and I. His disciples and then you and I. Notice how generous an estimation Jesus has of His own followers who failed Him over and over again. Hopefully that may encourage some of you. Notice that Jesus is praying for them and praying for us. Notice that Jesus asked the Father to keep them. Father, watch over them very closely. Don't let them out of your sight because the world is a hostile, dangerous place. Keep them so that they may be one just like we're one. I hope tonight that you've been encouraged by looking at the first half of this prayer of Jesus in John 17. Next week we'll finish it up and then we'll get on to our next study. Hey, before we close in prayer tonight, just a couple of reminders. 
Uh, we've got a nice group from our church going to the Diamondbacks game for Faith and Family Night in May. If you're interested in going, we've got one more week to purchase tickets. So if you'd like to go, please see my wife, Lisa. Uh, over here, she'll give you either the information you need or whatever for that. And then two, two weeks from tonight, we start a very important study here on Tuesday night on growing into greatness, looking at, at the leadership model of David in the Old Testament. I don't think there's any greater model in the Bible of a growing leader than David. And my friends, let me just say this again. God created every one of us to be a leader. Too many Christians don't look at themselves as leaders because they don't hold a certain role or position or whatever. God created all of us to be leaders. He looks at all of us as leaders. He gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. That was his original design. Man was created to lead this earth. Today, we have many leaders, but we have little leadership. And we need to grow in leadership in our churches, in our homes, in our communities, in our country, in our world. We are so void of real quality leadership. And God wants to build that into our lives. And I think for us as a church, because one day we're going to rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom. Again, as leaders, it is imperative for us as a church at this point in our history, two years in, that I think we have this study. Because if we're going to get to where God, I think, wants to take us in the next couple of years, as we continue to grow and see what God's doing here, all of us need to embrace the fact that we are a leader and I need to grow in being a better leader. And the more people at the Oasis, because that's what, that's what really, to me, is what churches, church, the church isn't measured by the church is going to be measured by how many people in that local church embrace the fact that they are a leader and they're willing to pay the price to grow as a leader. And that's why this is so important. That's why I want all of our people, even if they can't be here on Tuesday night, to be praying for this series. Even if they can't be here to, to maybe make time during the week to listen to it on podcast. Something. It's amazing to me what God is doing with these podcasts. I'll share this with you as a note of encouragement, and then we'll pray and let you go. Just this week, we got another email from a pastor ministry leader in Kenya who said that every week they listen to our podcast from the Oasis on Sunday and Tuesday and basically gather pastors and ministry leaders in Kenya around to listen so that they can be trained and learn and then go out to their villages and to their people and teach them the Word of God. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. And so, folks, that's happening all the time. And so, again, we, let's not limit what God wants to do. And maybe even you individually, maybe up to this point in your life, you, you are limiting what God wants to do in your life and what He wants to do through you. I think this series coming up in a couple of weeks may change that. Because I guarantee you, it's changed my life in preparing for it. I think it's going to change your life too. I'm excited about it. So that starts Tuesday, May the 1st, right here in the cafeteria. I'm hoping for a great crowd. Get the word out. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so next Tuesday, we are not here in the cafeteria. Next Tuesday, we're over in the auditorium where we meet on Sunday. The school needs the cafeteria next Tuesday. 
So uh, we'll make sure that there's signs up here or someone over here to direct people who don't get the word. But I will be announcing that on Sunday too, uh, not to come to the cafeteria next Tuesday, but to go to the auditorium. So you know what? We can fit three, four hundred people in there next Tuesday. So let's let's bring them out. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for again. Lord, your, your love for us, your care for us, your interest in us, the fact that you pray for us, that every detail of our lives, Lord, doesn't go unnoticed. That even right now, for those maybe in this room that may be going through really hard challenges and trials in their life, God, especially for them, who may be even dealing with discouragement, God, help them to know that you're praying for them. Praying for strength. Praying that that we will all look to You and find our strength in You. God, help us to live in such a way to glorify You, to display You, not ourselves, but to display and make manifest You through our lives. Whatever that looks like. And Lord, sometimes I know that that means that we have to go through some hard times, some suffering. Because sometimes, Lord, through us as Christians going through hard times and doing it with You, people are able to see You more clearly than they ever could any other way. And so God, help us to be so mature in our faith and so committed to You that we're willing to allow You to be glorified in our lives no matter what that means. Help us as a church to be willing to get to a point that all we care about, Lord, is glorifying You. Putting You on display. Making You known in this community and really all around the world. Getting the Word of God out to as many people as possible because we believe in the Word. We know it changes lives because it's changed ours. God, go with us tonight. Take us all home safely. Excite us, Lord, about what you're doing here at the Oasis and and the future that you have for us. Help us, Lord, to just get on board with it and, and just become a part of what you're doing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here. See you next week.